Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we are here to help you become more bankless. David, how are you doing today? Just fantastic, Ryan. It came out of an inter- interview with Andre Cronier, the creator of the Y-Earn protocol and the Wi-Fi token. Uh, some people may know this token as the YFI token, the Yiffy token, the Wi-Fi token. Uh, apparently, according to Andre, it's the Wi-Fi token. Uh, and this protocol, uh, Yearn, just kind of came out of nowhere and exploded into the DeFi ecosystem and got everyone really, really excited specifically with about how the token came to be, how the protocol came to be, and also the fact that the creator, Andre, allows the token to govern his life. And so that is how Andre came to be on the Bankless podcast. We submitted a proposal to the uh, YEARN governance page that asked for uh, opinions as to whether or not Andre should come on the Bankless podcast. Of course, it passed with flying colors at 95%. And so here we are recording with Andre Cronier, creator of the Urine Protocol. So he was compelled to come on the podcast. In his words, he had no choice. And you know, as we were interviewing Andre, I was kind of thinking, like, what should the what should the episode title name be for this? In fact, like, what is Andre? He, you know, he calls himself just an ordinary DeFi dev, but he's almost like this king of yield farmers because he's he's raised both this group of money robot robots to do yield farming out of all the DeFi opportunities that are out there. And he's also created a, uh, a cohort, a group of other yield farmers that are writing strategies for this why earn protocol thing. It's incredibly fascinating, the, the group that he's built and uh, the capability that he's built out. Um, this is probably one of the most effective yield farming technologies and yield farming strategies that's out there. While interviewing Andre, I'm reminded of that that old uh, comic. I can't remember who who made it, but it was a, an engineer that you know made made us wrote a script, worked his ass off for 36 hours to write a script so that he could automate his job for the rest of his life. And so he goes into work and just like scrolls through <laughs> Reddit and doesn't do his job because he made a script that did his job for him. And to to make that metaphor concrete, that job is yield farming, and the script is the urine protocol. And, and so we kind of go into Andre as to like what he was doing that, you know, spun up the YERN protocol. Like first, first he was using, uh, using these various uh, protocols to earn interest on his stable coins. And then he had to update it to add a new protocol and then liquidity mining came out. And so all of these technologies stacked on, on top of each other. And so he finally came out with the YERN protocol, which is this thing that automates everything together all at once so that he doesn't have to do any more work. Uh, Unfortunately, he's super busy, and that's kind of what we we got into the episode a, a little bit because uh, it turns out this is this turned into an absolute uh, cannonball of a protocol into the DeFi ecosystem, and so uh, we kind of we go through uh, the protocol step by step with Andre to get him to explain it to us so we can understand it, so we can pass that knowledge on to the Bankless Nation. Absolutely, the one thing I was left with with this interview is that Andre really cares a lot about DeFi, and he really cares deeply about DeFi users, particularly people like him, the liquidity providers, as he calls them. And I think in this in this conversation, uh, you're going to hear a lot of acronyms thrown around. Um, things like LPs, Andre says uh, often, that means liquidity providers. Um, flash loans, uh, for instance, 
you know, that's a, a split second sort of loan that uh, happens in a block within the protocol. You're going to hear all sorts of different asset names. So we get pretty deep into DeFi uh, geek talk in this episode. I think if you have hung with us for the previous 24 episodes, you should be able to to keep up. Um, but we do try to take some pauses and explain things throughout the interview uh, and, and summarize things. So I think listeners will be able to to keep up with things, but we will include a few other resources in the show notes with some definitions and prior episodes that you can listen to. Yeah, I've gone through a number of different attempts to fully comprehend uh, Yiffy and, and Yearn. And it, it's just, it's so, it really stretches my capacity to be able to understand these things. As a listener, if you are listening to this and you don't really get it the first time around, like, don't blame yourself. This, sh- this shit is complicated. And, and what Andre has built is one of the most uh, integrated and composable applications, which makes it really, it requires a ton of prerequisite knowledge. And so this is, this is like DeFi 401 level content that, that we go through. And so even I had a, a t- hard time keeping up. So don't, don't stress about that. Yeah, totally. And you know what you just did there? You called it Yiffy, David, instead of Wifey. Hang me up. (laughs) See, there you go. (laughs) So Yiffy, Wifey, Mm -hmm. same same, uh, token name for the Wireearn protocol, but that's the kind of thing, these uh, these terms you'll hear throughout this episode. It is a fantastic episode for you advanced folks, and I do think beginners will be able to to keep up as well. Uh, We should get right into it, but first, let's talk about our sponsors. The first sponsor I want to tell you about is Aave. Aave is a DeFi protocol that you absolutely have to check out. What can you do with it? You can lend, you can borrow banklessly all on Ethereum. So you could do things like lend DAI to the protocol. It will magically transform that DAI into an interest-bearing DAI account, not just DAI, all sorts of crypto assets on Ethereum. You can also borrow against it. Um, Ave has been climbing up the leaderboard as well, and they've recently released Avanomics, which is their token economics upgrade. You can read more about it. We will include a link in the show notes. So Avanomics grants key decision-making to Ave token holders. It creates more safety and economic incentives to reward protocol growth. One of the coolest things is it actually introduces a safety module. So there is staked Ave becomes a collateral of last resort. You can find out about Ave Avonomics. Start using the protocol at Ave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. For those of you that have been transacting on Ethereum, you've noticed that the gas prices have just been insanely high. You know, 60 GUE on a good day, and sometimes all the way up to 100 GUE, which is really reducing the amount of activities that is really feasible to be able to do on Ethereum. This is where our newest sponsor, Loopring, comes in. Loopring is a ZK rollup scaling protocol for Ethereum for both trading and for payments. Uh, ZK rollups, that stands for zero knowledge rollups. It's basically cryptographic magic. It allows you to combine activity and transactions into one single bit of information, which means that massive amounts of transactions can be bundled into a very small chunk of information, which reduces the gas per transaction. At loopring.io, you can find a ZK rollups based exchange and also a payment mechanism. 
all with the same security guarantees of the Ethereum L1 blockchain, which is really important. So loopering and ZK rollups allows you to scale up transactions, tradings, payments into thousands and thousands of transactions per second, but with the same security guarantees of the main Ethereum blockchain, which is just incredible. In September, Loopring is releasing the Loopring wallet. This will be a mobile smart contract wallet with ZK rollups tucked in natively. I'm really excited for how this is going to impact the adoption of Ethereum. The rest of the world will be able to experience Venmo type transactions, but with the same amount of trustlessness and security of the decentralized future ahead of us. So if you're a trader that's being eaten alive by gas fees, visit loopring.io to get onboarded into Ethereum's cheapest and fastest exchange. All it requires is an Ethereum address and you can trade on a high performance order book completely gas free and transferring Ether and ERC20 tokens on the platform is completely free. If you visit loopring.io, enter the code bankless in order to get the highest VIP tier for six months. So check that out. There's a link in the show notes. Visit loopring.io, enter code bankless. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get right into the interview with Andre Cronier. Bankless Nation, we are incredibly excited about our next guest. This is a first. I think first in crypto history, first in podcast history, maybe. We have a guest who is on the Bankless Podcast by way of token vote. And we're going to explain what that means in just a moment. Want to introduce you to Andre Cronier. You may know him from the YEARN protocol or the Wifey token, which has been going crazy for the last month or so. But he'd introduce himself as just another DeFi Dev, Andre, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, you want an honest answer or you want a polite answer so we continue this call? You know what? Let's do the honest answer because that's how we roll on the Bankless Podcast. Honest answers only. Okay, honest answers only. Well, then I'm kind of shit. Like I haven't really slept in a few days and I, um, I, I, there's, everything's just a blur at this point. There's just so much going on. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll probably be close to tapping out in a in a few days, and then I'll take it from there again. Is this all because of stuff that's going on with the urine protocol? Yeah, yeah. There's just too much happening, and um, like it's 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 gotten too much traction to the point where where I I I don't have the support infrastructure to keep up with it. So so it's murdering me. Like um, there's there 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 is such a thing as too big too fast. Okay. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Like what, what grew too big too fast and what is sucking up all of your attention and energy? Well, it's, it's expectation management mostly, you know, cause like, like the, the, the building part, that's fine. Like, like that, that I do, I love building. I'm going to keep building. I'm going to enjoy building, but, but there's so much extra onus now, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more interaction required of me on like the the social media side like i i have so many inbound requests i'm like i i I don't want to be that guy that doesn't respond so i still try and respond to each person that contacts me um there's there's sort of the governance stuff i have to jump in every so often because that's just a I, I don't know. It's 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 turning into a little bit of a circle jerk on that side. Um, <laughs> there's just you know, and 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 ever since that's 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 why I was I was very apprehensive about I I I knew it was going to happen, 
um, I was worried about the token having a, a price component because as soon as it has a price component, people's mentalities change. And, and I've mm -hmm. noticed this in the governance forums and in, in the communication people have with me because the, 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 the people that farmed it, they're, they're chill. Um, and, and they're some of the strongest supporters and they're actually quite actively engaged and they're trying to, to benefit the, the ecosystem. The people that bought it, they, they feel they're owed something. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, there's, there's a, a responsibility towards them. Um, and mm -hmm. like, like, there's a lot of negativity on that side that, that, that drags me down quite a bit. Um, so, so yeah, it's just um, trying to keep up with the pace is, 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 definitely, um, is definitely getting me. So Andre, it, I think what you're saying is, it sounds like what you're saying is it's more, it, it's not the building that's tiring you out, right? That maybe, maybe, maybe you get energy from that. I'm not yeah. sure, but it's more, it's more the social side that's really uh, exhausting you and tiring you out. And now with the launch of the wifey token and governance and the expectations around that, it sounds like the social aspect of things has just accelerated to a degree that is frankly exhausting but you've always been someone to uh dampen expectations right so like famously uh go to your twitter profile right now go to andre's twitter profile right now guys here's what it says in 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 the bio uh i test in prod <laughs> right you know that's a that's a lower your expectation type of statement it means look guys i'm not doing all of the audits in this thing i'm not like well you know what why don't you explain it like why do you make statements like that? Why do you make statements when you, when you rolled out the, the wifey token that this token has zero value? Um, why do you have disclaimers uh, that say things like, when I build software, I build it for myself. If you interact with it, use caution, there will be bugs. Uh, why do you do that sort of thing? So so a big reason why... So 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 originally when, when I, I, I built out the, the first iEarn, um, sort of first iteration back in, in Jan, Feb, I, I, I had gotten my audits, um, I had published them, and, and people flooded in capital. Um, and what I realized was people use, people use audits like a blanket safety net. Um, when, when you say it's an audit, they think, oh, okay, it's, it's fine. Let's, I don't have to do my due diligence. I don't have to do my own research. I'm just going to throw my money in. So a big reason why I emphasize to people that look, I, I, I mean, in all honesty, I do still get audits. I just don't publish them and I refuse to publish them because I don't want people to have a sense of, of false security. Um, it's important to me that when you manage your money, that's what you should be doing. You should be managing your money. Now, I don't necessarily mean actively. I mean, most of the Yearn protocol is there to automate your management, but you should at least at a high level know where that money is going and why it is going there. I think those are two very important questions to at least answer before you put your money into something. And, and I feel that's, that's like a baseline due diligence. But if you have a protocol and you start show, shouting numbers like 100 million TVL, 30% APR, and you know, trail of bit audits, then all of a sudden people, people don't think about that stuff and they just mm -hmm. throw money in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is, that is more dangerous than me trying to shout at the top of my lungs, the stuff is dangerous, please be careful, I didn't build it for you, you're going to lose money, and then they actually investigate. Mm 
at that point, I have a lot more comfort with them putting their money in it than if they were to just blindly follow because there's a report I published. So I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, contrast between you know Yiffy and Wifey and Yearn and uh, and why it's so special, why people are so excited about it is the way that it was its genesis, how it was created. And so many people like it because it wasn't created by like a VC group that funded a team that, you know, did all the, the tied off all the things before they released it, right? Instead, Wifey was, you know, kind of put out there, put out to Ethereum, more, more or less like using Ethereum as like test production. Uh, and then it got into the hands of the community basically instantly. And that's why people love it so much. But that's also what I'm hearing from you is kind of uh, a big detriment where like there's not a team that got venture capital to, you know, help support you, Andre, like the CEO or the leader or whatever, whatever one title you would theoretically bestow yourself. Like you are uh, the kind of there's a lot of weight on one single individual who kind of just built out this protocol just for himself. And the beautiful thing about it is that, you know, you turned over the king, the, the keys to the community, but then the community is trying to like have things both ways where they are like, they love the, its genesis and they love that you donated this, this project to the greater Ethereum ecosystem. And they love that the VC backing never was there, but also at the same time, they're there. They wish there was this VC backed team that had like these salaries that could go and do all these things. How do you see that juxtaposition kind of like playing out in, in, in your experiences? Uh, so, so first things first, I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. Um, I, as a little bit, I mean, I, I, I also proposed it out of necessity, but I also proposed it as a little bit of a social experiment because I was curious. So, so, so the platform generates its own rewards and fee systems. Um, and, and now that it's a very positive, um, market cycle, the, the, the fees are actually high enough to cover like audits server expenses, you know, all of those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's not high to run, but, but it is there. Um, so I propose, look, instead of any further issuance of the token, um, because I'm, I'm actually quite against any further issuance, um, I, I don't believe in liquidity mining at all. Um, so instead of any further issuance, let's use the reward systems and let's take expenses out of that. Uh, and it's, it's, if, if you want go have a read on the forum, the, the, the general consensus, it's a good idea, but dividends should flow to token holders. So, so everyone says there should be like a minimum cap, so 5% or 10% or whatever, and everything else should go to the token holders. Now, now I, as, as a social experiment, I find that very interesting because, again, I did not sell this token to anyone. Like, I, I was very adamant, if you, if you gained this token, be sure you earned it without spending any money other than gas costs. Um, but the people that bought it, they feel they bought it for a reason, and that reason is future revenue from the protocol versus the ones that farmed it that were most likely already using the protocol. And that's why I did pool one as a, a um, the Y-curve token, because that means you're already using the protocol. And I want people using the protocol to be governing the protocol as a logical sort of next step. Um, they're, they're the stronger supporters. Um, but again, like like I... Um, the best way I see this playing out, um, and kind of what I was expecting, but I guess it's, I don't know, maybe it'll still fulfill or not fulfill, but, but 
the, the price has to decline to the point where it's again only in the hands of the people that actually want to govern the protocol and not in the hands of the people that bought it with the idea of future revenue. So, so, so I think it's a lot about, um, it's a lot about the, the intent with which people gained access to the token. Um, and, and there's, you, you can see it in the voting structure as well, because the, the, the votes are, are more often than not either not quorum or, or last minute flips. Um, and, and it's often quite a big difference between, you know, the, the, the original miners, let's call them liquidity providers and the, the token purchasers. So, so, so there's a definite conflict between those two. And, um, I, I actually, um, last year or the year before i i need to go check but but i published a few articles about this specifically where where you 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 have this conflict between between a token's purpose and an investor's value so 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 even if we look at ethereum right if we look at ethereum ethereum's there's a lot of ideologies so i'm not going to go into all of them ethereum is money etc at at its base ethereum is gas and it's meant to be paid for computational execution now, now, there's a certain equilibrium there between how much does it cost the network as a collective of miners in the amount of electricity they're spending to execute that instruction and thus secure it, and how much are they being rewarded in financial value for that. Now, now at equilibrium, it should be, it should, the value of the token should be slightly more than the cost of their electricity. But now if you add speculators into the equation, they're not using the token. So it's not cycling between these two. So all of a sudden you're removing supply out of the equation. And at the same time, this, this, this band keeps increasing because it's not circulating. You're moving more and more and more supply demands, uh, supply side crisis. And you end up with a token that increases to the point where, where the users who are supposed to be paying for these execution no longer want to pay for these execution because it's too expensive. Miners are still happy. They're they're walking away with extra profits, but the users don't want to use it anymore. So so as soon as you add speculative value to a lot of these tokens, you end up destroying the reason they exist. Um, and that that only cycles back to its equilibrium point when when its value normally decreases. But now at the same time, we're in a market where it's predominantly investors, and your your product is only as good as your green candles or your red candles. So if if your if your token is going up in value, you're you're a wonderful product and you have the most amazing leadership and everything is wonderful. <laughs> if that thing starts going down, you're a scam and you lied and and there's there's insert any random FUD you can possibly think of. And the second it switches to green again, all of a sudden you're the most wonderful project ever. So so I'm, I'm very worried about that because on the one hand, I need that value to significantly decrease for it to have its effective value in the ecosystem. But when that happens, people start saying the protocol is shit and the platform is shit and it doesn't work as intended. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Like I, 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 I have no ideas how this is going to turn out. I, I, in none of my models did I expect it to turn out the way it did. Um, but, but, but right now there, there is a definite conflict between, between governance and speculators that much I can see in the forums. This has been so helpful to, um, to understand sort of how you think about things and got some other questions. want to dig into your background a little bit later, but, 
Um, you, you mentioned so much there. You, one of your points was about you know, speculators versus sort of the, the users and there being sort of a, an inherent mismatch there uh, in terms of alignment. Um, part, part of that I wonder, maybe we could dig into later, is like, is there a difference in your mind between the, uh, the short-term speculator investor and the long-term uh, investor, right? So um, that's something we could talk about. But, but let's, let's put that aside for a minute because I'm not sure that everyone listening is actually familiar with some of the things that you just said and sort of the story of Wire and, and the story of, of YFI. So we want to set some, some context for them, for, for folks who might be new to it, new to, to what's been going on. Can we start with maybe the Y-Earn protocol? What is the Y-Earn protocol? Can you do an explain it like I'm five for what the protocol actually does? Yeah. Um, the, the, the very original first iteration, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start there, of, um, of Y-Earn back when it was I-Earn. Um, which, by the way, the the, the name swap um, Nodar from Zapper actually recommended the the Y because then it's you earn instead of I earn, which had a much nicer ah. collective idea, which which I enjoyed. Um, but very simplistically, back then I I I there's a longer background that we can dig into if we want, but but I'm just going to start from I I was at X point where I was managing a lot of friends and family's money. Um, and I, I, I'm not a trader. I'm not a speculator. I don't understand any of these things. I think TA is flipping a coin and good luck which side it's going to land on. Um, so I, I had moved almost everything into stable coins. But I still wanted to offer per people a certain amount of, of returns because they had entrusted their money with me. Um, so I started looking at options of putting stablecoins to work. And at the time, there was Aave, there was um, Fulcrum, there was Compound, there was DYDX. There, there was a bunch of different services. And I would wake up in the morning and I would see which one's the highest APR and I'd move my funds around. And I did this for probably a few days until I finally got annoyed at one, moving it around and two, having to pay gas fees the whole time. So I started thinking, look, I can automate all of this. So the first thing I did was just um, write a few um, normalization smart contracts that reads in the different APR numbers from the different systems and then gives me standardized output, which I can compare, so that at least I don't have to compare them individually and I can just look at the script and the script smart contract will tell me where to send it. So that was sort of step one. And then step two, I started with this concept of having the tokens do it themselves. So I wrote the first iteration of the Y tokens, which YDAI, YUSDC, YUSDT, and YTUSD. And very simplistically, they read this normalized APR output, and then they see which one it's supposed to be, and then they have integrations into all of the downstream sources. And depending on what that response is, where they're supposed to go, they move between one of those. Um, and, and I used that as my baseline for, for quite a while until I got to the point where I started realizing, um, number one, there's, there's no net loss to me opening this up to other people, which is fantastic. Number two, the more people that interact with the protocol, the, the more effective it gets. So what I mean by that is every time someone deposits or withdraws, it sees if it should rebalance. So the higher the frequency of interaction, the more it shifts between protocols to maximize its own yield return. So by opening it up and allowing other people to pull into the protocol, 
uh, they're getting the highest yield from any of these aggregate sources because it's moving. And because there's more people interacting with it, it's moving more frequently, which means in aggregate, it gets a higher API or return than any of the downstream sources. Um, and that was the original, that was the original iron, um, now yearn. Um, so, so a really, a really simplistic concept and a simplistic idea. It's, it's what, it's what lenders do nowadays as well. You know, you, you move your capital to where you get the highest returns, just automated and with smart contracts. Um, I don't know if you want to stop there or you want to now continue digging into how the rest of the platform continued expanding. A few quick questions there as to the technical details. So you, you said that the tokens move in order to find the best yield. Can you just go into the details as to how the tokens know where the best yield is? And then who pays for that? Who or what pays for that gas for those tokens to move? All right, so so gas is paid during interaction. So when I deposit or I withdraw, then it checks if it moves, that gas is added onto that deposit or that withdrawal. So it's basically an unlucky lottery. Whoever's going to hit the contract when it's time to rebalance is going to be paying that extra amount. But they, they were going to be paying some amount of gas anyways, right? It's kind of just like they're also the the movement of, yeah. the, of the tokens so, are kind of just free riding on that transaction. Correct. I mean, and I mean, back then, you know, gas was what, six squai. So, so it wasn't, right, um, right. You'd, you'd be paying two bucks instead of, you know, 1.5 bucks. Um, now it's a little bit more significant, but the system also works very differently now. Um, so, so, so the tokens themselves are, are the, the white token is really just a, think of it as a pool. And in this pool, you have a bunch of, let's take die and you have a bunch of die. So when I deposit, I deposit a bunch of die. And when I deposit or withdraw, then it asks, um, the APR smart contract. For practical purposes, think it's Oracle. I don't like using the terminology Oracle specifically because it's not using any off-chain sources. It's just normalizing on-chain information. Like an internal for Oracle. For practical purposes, let's call it an APR Oracle. Yeah. It asks the Oracle, where is the high highest APR currently? And the Oracle tells it Ave. And if it sees Ave, then it goes, okay, so now I take this all of this die I have and I deposit it into Ave. So now I have A tokens and Ave has my die. And now I'm, I'm sitting with that and I'm earning interest. Now, next depositor comes along and deposits. It checks that again. It sees, oh, okay, I should be going to compound. So it withdraws the die from Aave and by returning its A tokens, deposits into compound, and now I have C tokens. And that's all it does. So every time someone interacts, it asks the question, where should I go? And then it simply withdraws from where it is and it goes to where it's supposed to be. So it's like a robot that finds the high, highest yield. Okay, so... I think that's pretty simple for folks to understand. I, I have one question on that. So uh, when we talk about reward, right, like putting on an investor cap, uh, we're thinking about risk-adjusted reward, risk-adjusted returns, right? So it seems like the, the the money robot, the wired money robot is basically, you know, showing you the highest yield protocols and investing in that, but it can't quantify risk. Is that sort of a blind spot of the protocol? In the V1 version, yeah. So, so in the V1 version, um, I remember we were at about two million die, and that was just when um, BZX had their 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 whatever you want to call it, Black Thursday event or or however, um, and and we managed to pull that out. I I I told the script to no longer use Fulcrum, and then it removed Fulcrum as an option, and then it pulled everything out, and we were very very lucky at that point. Um, but after that, we started looking at things like how much 
how much tokens is at the downstream source. In other words, how liquid is the source I'm putting cash into now? Um, and it would check how much of that liquidity has moved in X amount of time. Um, with, with a V3, I also wanted to include DeFi score, I believe it's called, um, what Jordan and them are working on, but, but I never ended up getting to that V3 because V2 ended up integrating with Curve and, and it just it's not going to get much better in terms of its yield um, than where it's currently sitting at. So, so, so it, it started adding a, a few smarter things, like it would start looking at, at how big is the pool that I'm moving to and, and will I affect its APR? Because when when I first started, you know, there's there's ten twenty thousand dollars in there, and that doesn't affect APR when it moves. Within a few months, there was there was two to five million in there. So now, when it moves to to one of these downstream sources, it actually changes the APR from ten percent to five percent. So now I have to start calculating in okay, what what is the APR going to be if I move, and only move if it is a net benefit with move plus that. And then it would look at how much liquidity has the downstream source. In other words, is it safe? Can I still get out? Um, and it would do smaller adjustments. So it, it would see, okay, I can move half of it year and get this amount of yield and the other half that side and get that amount of yield and an aggregate that's more. Um, but but in, terms of, in terms of intelligent risk, uh, no such thing exists as data on-chain currently. So it was largely my own perceived um, perspective of these protocols risks and their dangers uh i i am not sure where defy score is at in terms of their on-chain codification i think they have done it as an oracle stream already but but i haven't touched it recently unfortunately yeah and so so for folks that aren't uh, totally familiar with some of the things you talked about so you know j just so i can kind of understand so what you're talking about is um, obviously annualized returns, right? That's when you, when you were saying APR, that's annualized returns and the risk modeling that, that why earn is taking into account is from two places right now, uh, or in, in the future versions will be maybe in V2 it is, which is the liquidity of the underlying protocol, which is certainly one measure of risk, uh, not necessarily an intelligent measure of risk, but, but it does help somewhat. And then also there is this, uh, I don't know, agency, I don't know what you'd call them, but a project called um, uh, DeFi Score, which is a consensus project that is actually trying to quantify risk, um, almost like a uh, like a Morningstar, I suppose, or something in the traditional uh, finance world where there's sort of a you know risk quantification of an underlying asset. Uh, and they're trying to score each of these protocols uh, and possibly you could you could integrate that, but even those two two I guess sources are are fairly primitive, I suppose. Now I, I don't know if this is a this is a problem for finance, right? How do we? <laughs> it's not just a problem for DeFi; it's a problem for finance. It's like how do we quantify risk? Like humans are really bad at quantifying risk, but do you think we can start getting better in DeFi about quantifying the risk across various protocols? And if so, how? Um, I mean, like. Like as a baseline, what what do humans consider as low risk versus high risk when it comes to financial things? You'll you'll go to the bank that's been around for longer because they've got the track record, and you'll go to the bank that has more capital because they have less chances of going over. So so you know those are sort of the the normal human psyche things we quantify. Um, so I think for a large part that's still very much true 
in DeFi as well? Because 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 even in DeFi, in 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 which product do you rather put your capital? You know the the one that's the that's the the SF backed VC backed funded um, hundred million dollar protocol or the non user that no one knows who they are, but they deployed a bunch of smart contracts onto chain. Um, I mean, right off the bat, I can tell you which one I'd feel safer with my money, even if that is completely, you know, just based off of human perception. So, so I don't know. I mean, I mean, if so, so my general rule with anything I code is, if if I can quantify the steps in a logical way, then I can codify the steps in a logical way. I I I can't I can't in an analytical way tell you how. I measure risk, so I'm not sure how that would be codified, other than a certain member of per- a certain level of perception based. So, Andre, let's pick up the thread with the development of the Yearn protocol. We uh, we left off with talking about how stablecoins move around in order to get the best yield in the various DeFi protocols, but the Yearn protocol didn't stop there. What's the next step in the composition of of Yearn and, and Wifey? So, so after, after we, after I now had this thing where these tokens move between, uh, lenders, uh, about the same time curve came out with their, um, uh, stable swap system, which now is the curve protocol. And the very first pool they launched was the C die, which is the compound die and C USDC, which is the compound USDC. Um, and I started speaking to Mitch, um, and, and. We, we started discussing this idea, but okay, if, if you can do these swaps with with these yield tokens, could you do them with with the the yield profit switching tokens? Um, and we ended up deploying the the Y pool, um, which is built off of the the four base layer um, yearn tokens: the Y die, the Y USDC, the Y USDT, and the Y TUSD. Um, and we also later launched the BUSD pool, which is Y die. Y USDT, USDC, and YBUSD. Yeah, Binance USD one. Um, so, so, so this offered another layer on top because we knew that that if you're in curve, there's there's a certain level of stability based on the tokens as long as Dai can manage to keep peg, um, and that allows you to have the the yield maximization with trading fees on top. Um, and when it started, it was fantastic because the the volume far outseeded the liquidity. So we would have 100% plus days, which was phenomenal. Um, as liquidity increased, you know, we're at less than 10% utilization now. So fees don't make up as much as they used to. Um, but but that was basically the pinnacle of yield at that time. Uh, there was there was there was nothing other than centralized services where you could get higher yield than you could in in the Y pool. Um, and and that that sort of stayed for for quite a while. So so there was a bit of a a lack of new yield opportunities. So to stimulate yield opportunities, I started looking for things to build that improves yield. So one of the first things I started looking at was how do I get people to trade more on curve? Because the more you trade, the higher the fees. The higher the fees, the better the yield. So I started building. Things like um, Y trade and Y leverage. We've both were just leveraged um, stablecoin trades. Y leverage was based off of flash loaning 
um, USDC from, yeah, flash loading USDC from DYDX, putting that into Maker as collateral. This is just when they release their USDC A vaults. Uh, minting DAI off of that, selling the DAI to USDC because DAI was trading above PEG at about 1.02, um, returning the flash loan USDC and you get the difference in profit. And then when you want to close the vault again, it just does the inverse. So in other words, borrow the 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 DAI, close the vault, take the USDC, sell back to DAI and then return that. Um, if you close it out of profit, it, you have to add in the rest. If you close it in profit, you get profit on both sides. Why why trade is the is the leverage system. Now it can go up to a thousand x leverage. Um, on the UI, we limit it to a maximum of two fifty. You you can go higher, but then we want you to interact with the smart contracts because any higher than two fifty and you're liquidated in less than a day. So so that's for a lot more experienced people. And for the the basic website, we only allowed up until five x because then at least you have a few weeks and months before you get liquidated because of your borrow position. And that simplistically, LPs could provide their Y-curve token. When a trader comes in, it unwinds the Y-curve token into the one of the native assets, DAI, USDC, TUSD, or um, USDT, and then it sells it into Curve for the opposing asset, whichever you want to do. So you'll do DAI to USDC. And now you have a short DAI position and you have a USDC amount on the books. So this just allowed people to do higher frequency trading. Um, I, I had closed that down, I think around either early June, maybe late just before that, um, because I wanted to rework the whole way I did um, design that and everything. Um, while I was busy with that rework, I started looking at Y-Swap, which is the single-sided AMM solution. Um, that's that's a lot more technical, um, so I don't know if we want to go into that because there's quite a lot of detail to unpack around that. Um, but but it's just a way to 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 do Uniswap basically with just providing a single asset on the one side and having yield aware systems. But but everything I build and everything I designed and the whole Yearn ecosystem and even the vaults that I have now um, and the vaults I had to design because the yield world just became massively complex in the last two months. So it needed a whole new solution. But 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 everything has a singular goal: maximize yield for LPs that provide um, that provide liquidity into the ecosystem. But but I have I have two very fixed rules when it comes to this. Number one, I I don't swap what you put in. So if you put in DAI, I'm not going to swap that to TUSD and put that into MStable because it's going to get a higher yield. I'm going to keep it in DAI. So you might not get the highest possible. APR strategy, but you will get the highest one for DAI. Um, and the reason for that is I did have a solution back in the day that swapped between the stable coins for the highest one, but but I've noticed that most LPs aren't long-term LPs. They're LPs for a few days. So so they ended up losing more because of slippage than they would actually make in, in interest gained. So for, for purposes of keeping it more simplistic for them, I, I decided I'm always going to keep it token to token. And then the other rule is no experimental systems, but that again is based on my own perceived level of risk, which you know I, I, I try and do as much due diligence on these platforms where the money goes as possible because any of my solutions, my money will be the first one in. So 
I expose myself to the risk of wherever that goes. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very apprehensive about that. So, so it might also not always be the absolute maximum APR you could get in DeFi, but it is what I consider to be the, the, the safest APR without having any losses on the original asset you put in. Hey guys, going bankless is a journey and you don't have to do it alone. So we're going to pause the interview with Andre so we can talk about some of our fantastic bankless sponsors that offer you tools to help you in your journey westward. As we all go westward, we need to get our values into the crypto world, but hopefully escape the tyranny of centralized rent-seeking institutions. And that's where Monolith can help you get your value into the crypto world while skipping over the crypto banks. Coming soon to Monolith is an on-ramp directly from your old world bank account into your smart contract wallet on Ethereum. And for those that don't know, Monolith also has a DeFi card, which uses DAI in your smart contract wallet, but on the Visa network. So you can go to your grocery store, swipe your DeFi card, pay for your groceries like a normal person, and still be part of the crypto bankless, crypto economic future that we are all excited about. So you can get your value from your bank account directly into your crypto Visa card without having to go through any crypto bank intermediary, which is just absolutely fantastic. So in order to get started, go to monolith.xyz and get your bankless Visa card today. I want to tell you about another bankless tool that I personally use. It's fantastic. This one is for our U.S. listeners. It's called Rocket Dollar. So if you have an IRA or a 401k, the problem is it's jailed inside of your brokerage. So your Fidelity account, your Schwab account, that means you don't have good access to crypto. The only crypto that you can buy is in a trust form, and it's marked up like 5x, 6x, 8x the price you're getting ripped off. So what you need to do is break your retirement account out of jail, set up something called a self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k. We've written articles about this on Bankless that we'll include in the show notes. Rocket Dollar takes care of all of the pain in getting set up. They help you with the paperwork. You could break your retirement account out of jail and also use the Bankless code to get $50 off. So make sure you use that code Bankless when you sign up on rocketdollar.com to get $50 off. All right, let's go ahead and get right back into the interview with Andre so we can finish up learning about the urine protocol. Okay, Andre, so let's let's do our best to recap where, where we are so far. So uh, you first built out this stablecoin system that moves stablecoins around to access the best yield in the various DeFi protocols. And that was that's kind of like layer one. And then uh, Curve gets introduced, which has the Curve tokens, the Curve stable tokens, which kind of do this in a more or less automated way. And then you started to stitch that into the urine protocol as well, kind of like as a layer two on on top of it, right? And so, and then you ins- created these products um, from the urine system that uh, were are useful products, useful building blocks in DeFi, useful money Legos, and that they also encourage activity in the curve system because the curve system and the uh, urine system are very are like siblings, right? They're like stitched together very very tightly. Um, and, and we're not done yet, right? Like we still have like another layer to uh, perhaps even two layers to go before we're really finished off with the all encompassing urine system. However, at this point in time, how would you describe in a concise way as possible? 
how would you describe the urine protocol up to this point? Like, what is it? What does it do for people at at this uh, stage in the game? It automates yield. Um, that's that's the most apt description I've managed. Um, I, I I sometimes refer to it as a smart savings account, um, which I'm not a huge fan of because you know your your money is always spendable, like you like you never lock it up. Um, but 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 it's 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 a yield optimizer. That's that's its entire purpose. Okay, now what? Where's the next stack? Because at some point in time, uh, yield farming with uh, governance tokens comes into play here. Are we at that point yet? This this is now when comp launched, yeah. So so when comp launched, they 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 were very kind to to both destroy and recreate the whole game, which was very exciting because it 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 gave me um, a lot of reinvigoration to to engage. And and so so technically, this isn't actually completely true. So so in after Y pool at that time, the synthetics team were looking for for something to help their their SUSD keep stronger to peg um, so started working the urine protocol the curve protocol and SUSD and we launched a new pool which was a meta pool between the Y tokens and the SUSD token um, and the output token of this the LP token you get for depositing into this pool you could stake in the rewards contract and it's that same rewards contract I used for my Wi-Fi distribution and that's how I knew about it because back then you would stake the LP token and you would get SNX every week. Um, and it was it was by far the most profitable strategy of all of the yield strategies. So 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 technically I stand corrected in saying that that um like like the cycle definitely started because of that hype, but but liquidity incentives or liquidity mining started there. And like that, that mentor rewards pool from SNX was 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 the first of its kind. And and I think everyone else is just playing off of their playbook. Um, but what did happen with the 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 comp token? It it added a new option. So so now it was a question of which one is higher yield, and. And the intricacies of the comp token made it also more interesting because for the first few weeks, you ended up borrowing as much VAT as possible and then winding a leverage position so that you could earn as much comp. And that's because of the comp distribution model at the time, which was based on the size of the, the, the debt that is accrued on the market. And then they changed that model and it changed to, to a leverage position and die. Um, so you would again wind your position like that, um, and and that had the best ratio. And then, and then I think next it was Balancer that came out with MTA, and I mean shortly after that it was um, Ah Balancer with Bell, and then it was M Stable with MTA, um, and we're still waiting on the Curve token to come out. Um, and there was another one that I'm missing. Oh, um, Uma with their YUSD. So so all of a sudden. All of a sudden, my my yield system was insufficient because it it no longer was aware of what the best yield strategy was because what the best yield was the definition thereof had now changed. A few months before that, it was it was um, it was which lender provided the highest interest rates, and in aggregate, which of those could I get while depositing into into synthetics to be a liquidity provider there and get the liquidity incentives? Um, but now all of a sudden you started having to do calculations about okay, but what is my what is my wound up bat position and how much 
debt am I accruing and what is the token value? So what is the financial dollar value of that debt versus the amount of comp I'm getting and the comp's dollar value, which offsets this interest? So 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 now there's so many data points that that all of a sudden becomes a lot more tricky to manage. And and one thing we know is that price data on chain is a very dangerous thing to use. That's a very easy way to get attacked. And that's why we need secure oracles. The available secure oracles, though, don't have data for all of the things I just mentioned. So so yield farming now all of a sudden was at a point where 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 robo-advisors could no longer do their job because they could not get sufficient data to do their job and they could no longer predict how to do this job. So I started thinking about, okay, but now I need a model how to crowdsource this information because there's a bunch of us that are constantly in DeFi and we're constantly hooked in and we we all have sleeping problems and, and none of us get more than half an hour sleep every every other four hours. So 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 we know what's going on and we know where to be. So a large inspiration of why why the token needed to become into existence is to have a a protocol to 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 help these these yield farmers be able to make decisions such as what is the best strategy so objectively speaking what is the best yield strategy at this time and then based off of this decision they needed to be able to update which strategy we go to but now now I, I have this problem where on the one side, you've got people that, that know that's the best strategy, but they can't necessarily codify the strategy. So now I need someone who can codify these strategies as well. And I needed a way to incentivize them to actually codify these strategies. And then, of course, on the other side, there's the LPs that still need to provide the liquidity for the strategy and then get the rewards. So so that's where that's where the V2 came out. And that's that's my new Y Vault system, where where Strategy writers can codify these strategies, and if approved and voted in by governance, that becomes the de facto strategy for the current LP vault. And as I mentioned before, you'll have one for USDC, one for DAI, one for Y-curve, etc. Um, strategy writers are incentivized because they get a percentage of additional profit. So what I mean by additional profit, and this is where the system generates its rewards as well, is based interest that the users get, and, and that's to LPs and nothing else. That's not touched. Then there is additional things, you know, there's there's comp, there's MTA, there's Bell, there's SNX, there's there's all of these other things in this ecosystem that that has additional value. And and off of that additional value, that's where their rewards come from. So so the strategy writer, for argument's sake, gets five percent of all of those liquidated rewards that go back to the LPs and the governance decision makers, they get, let's say, 10% or whatever. Governance needs to decide on those numbers. The ones I've been using have just been, I think, uh, no, I'm going to lie to you now. It is 80, 10, 10. Um, so, so I needed to create this new ecosystem to be able to move fast enough to keep up with what is now happening in this market. Now, I don't necessarily think it's going to last this way very long because I, I, I do think liquidity mining is a, is a net negative game and we shouldn't try and incentivize it for too long. But while it lasts, I need this ecosystem that can manage these yield choices and do it in a way that is not based purely out of analytical data it can get on chain. And that is the current... That's the, the first iteration of Y vaults I did, which was things like the, the YUSDC and the Y curve vault. Um, and then as a little bit of a sideline, I was doing this delegated vault work with um, 
with Aave where they want to do delegated credit. So they want to be able to say, okay, well, I'm a I'm a depositor in Aave and I have $10,000 worth of of a credit line and I'm going to assign $1,000 of that to my to my buddy. Um so he can then borrow from my vault, he can borrow his credit line. So the delegated vaults were actually a continuation of that idea where I use the original capital and then deploy the underlying best asset for the highest yield strategy. And then it, it ends up being this, this whole buyback strategy that benefits the vault. And, and I'm actually really happy with how that turned out. It actually turned out much better than I had originally expected. Um, and that's that's sort of the current iteration where we're at. So so it it's it's gone from everything happens on chain to I need collective information off chain to be able to 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 manage and dictate the system. Okay, so this is brilliant and I hope people are starting to understand the brilliance of what Wyner's put together what Wyern has put together and what Andre has put together. But but let me just recap for folks that are getting lost in some of the asset names and that sort of thing. Like here's the through line. So we've been talking on Bankless about uh, yield, right? Ever since inception, the first chapter of yield has been lending and borrowing yield in DeFi. And then the second chapter, which opened up, we had a Dan Ellitzer on the podcast. We'll, we'll add a link in the show notes, but that chapter um, started with the comp token and then yield was supercharged with these governance tokens, right? And I've, I've often joked that like I can, I'm in the space 24 hours a day, so is David. And we can't keep up with all of the yield farming opportunities. I've, I've joked that I need to hire somebody to go deploy my capital to keep up with all of the yield farming opportunities and optimize that. So this is what this is the beauty of Wiren in Andre's system is that rather than hiring someone in a fund, you can hire the Wiren money robots, Andre's money robots. That's why people love this because the money robots are really finding the, the highest most optimized yield farming opportunities in both lending and borrowing and now these governance tokens. And what Andre just said is the first phase of all of that has been money robots that he wires up and programs himself for his own use, uh, but then he makes available to the public. But now the next stage of that is to get strategy writers to tweak the money robots and create these new money robots and then send them with YFI tokens, wifey tokens. Um, that's what this is. That's really what we're talking about, guys. I hope you see the the through line. This is sort of a a way instead of you know hiring the guy to go find all the yield farming opportunities, you just hire the robot, and everyone kind of crowdsources uh, the 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 most optimal uh, way to do it. It's um it's really genius. I Andre, I, I want to ask a question here before we get to the wifey tokens themselves and talk a bit more about the the crowdsourced yield farming strategies. Uh, can you just do a quick recap of what some of the risks are here, just like high level? So if I'm depositing my funds into YEARN, what are the risks? Like I could lose it all, but how how would I lose like, it all? Like what are the protocols well, that are dependent, that Yearn is dependent on that are are critical to its function? Uh, I mean, highly dependent on the strategy. So so um, I'd, I'd in if, if you look at the protocol top level, um, and you look at what it operates on top of, I'd say everything. There's there's nothing in DeFi that, there's nothing in Ethereum that it doesn't touch us. Um, if you look at a specific vault and a specific strategy, then it's more isolated. 
So, you know, then it's then it's it might be a balancer pool or it might be a bank or V2 pool or it might be um, lending and compound. So 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 then it's slightly more isolated. I mean, your 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 numbers, what your number one biggest risk is, is always we I, I, I always start at where where is the money? So so if if the, the money is sitting in a balancer pool. Then that is your highest risk point because that's where people see the money and that's where they attack it. Now, luckily, and this is why I also only like to use protocols that have you know stood a little bit of a test of time, um, or are so simplistic that that it is only a smart contract and nothing else can happen. Um, so 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 that's normally your number one point, but but that's normally also a little bit safer because these are normally large corporations and lots of audits and lots of eyes looking at it and lots of scrutiny, which is good. Your your next layer is is always my code. There as 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 much as I I I try and make sure, as I said, my money goes in, which means I I I need that for my livelihood. But at the same time, that's your your technical biggest risk because it's one guy that wrote it while he was sleep deprived. It's not a good good combination. Like like that's not <laughs> that's not where you should be putting your money. Um so so and and since that can be the the entry and the exit point, which means it does the calculations on how much of the underlying asset you get. So that's that's a very high danger point because that can be manipulated and I've I've seen it be manipulated. So, so definitely a high risk there. Um, uh, you you start talking about about lower risk, but probability risk stuff. So, like a, a a a if if USDT now, for example, were to add a fee to their token transfer, which which they can do because it's in their smart contract, a lot of my systems would break. And when you deposit, you'd actually get back less than what you put in. Um, if if there's a if there's a compiler bug in the version I use, um, which I'm I'm I normally I I have a leniency towards um, 5.17, then then that can be exploited in all of my contract systems. Um, if there is a liquidity crisis in one of the the downstream sources, and and th- this can happen a lot because remember you're 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 often in in a lending position, which means there's a borrower on the other side. And if, if something horrible happens and there's a price collapse, that's when you want your money out. But that's also when most people are borrowing the money and the utilization rate is high, which means you can't actually get access to it. So 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 that's definitely a systematic risk. I, I, I like to call it impermanent locks because, you know, based on the time, it can be locked. But in in its entire position, you, you will always have access to it unless it's drained from the underlying position. Um I've mentioned code vulnerabilities. I've mentioned the the asset. The the composability is always dangerous. I mean, any system. Each time you add a a a building block, you're you're exponentially increasing um, potential risk and and mismanagement. Um, so, with regards to the the various DeFi protocols that are uh, an option to receive yield in urine, like there's you know Compound, Balancer, M Stable, like all these different DeFi protocols, and each one is a risk. But with regards to where the funds are currently deposited by Yearn, there's a chance that like something breaks that doesn't actually impact the current uh, way that Yearn is receiving real yield, right? So like Yearn could be depositing most of the of the funds into a combination of like M stable and balancer and compound breaks and 
And compound breaking doesn't actually impact urine at that present moment because the funds haven't been deposited there. But yeah, urine governance needs to remove compound from the uh, algorithm Correct. before it, something does happen. Is that, is that right? That is a hundred percent accurate. So, so, so I've been I've been manually managing that since Jan Feb. Um, but again, it's based purely on my perception, which is a lot nicer if it's you know a crowd based source decision. So, but but hundred percent correct. If if there is all of a sudden a a scare that there is high vulnerability somewhere, so there's some rumors that something bad is happening at X, then it's up to governance to pull those funds as quickly as possible. So one other primitive that possibly could be incorporated in this is if we had some sort of DeFi insurance primitive, right? Yes. Um, we could use the composability of DeFi to our advantage. Um, Nexus Mutual, any anything popping in mind for that? Because I'm sure you'd love to incorporate some insurance if it was available and if you could. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I, I actually... Sp- spoke to 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 you from um, Nexus Mutual in this week. Um, they're they're going to roll it out either I think this week or next. Um, that that it has a a base layer staking system, which allows me to take a percentage of deposits at, at the user's opt-in choice, and then it takes that percentage as a as a base layer stake in Nexus Mutual, which then gives them cover on the other side. Very cool. And that would cover them for smart contract technical style hacks. Is that correct? Technically no, because the way the way Nexus Mutual works, it's it's like like I I, I, I always like to say it's not actually insurance. It's more like a binary option. So so the people that are the people that are staking funds against a smart contract, they're saying they have confidence it's not going to fail. The people taking insurance are saying, I have confidence it's going to fail, but but it's actually just a hedged binary bet. Um, but but it's up to it's up to the people staking on that contract to actually decide what they pay out for. So 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 Nexus Mutual has paid out for things that were not smart contract hacks because they they felt it 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 was good to pay those risks out. So so they it's it's a lot more about perceived about what happened so so from from the payouts i've seen basically nexus mutual pays out when they feel the the there was nothing the user could have done to prevent it but if there was something the user could have done to prevent it then they don't pay out so 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 it's it's less technical and and more what do those stakers vote for when someone submits a claim so Andre, we've gone through what happens when you deposit stable coins, crypto dollars into the urine protocol. We've gone through how you've developed this yield maximizing system. Uh, then we went through how you integrated the, the yield farming and liquidity mining uh, revolution of DeFi so that the value of the governance tokens being earned is also integrated into the profit maximizing system. Now we're at the last layer, the the YFI token, the YFI token. This is the the capstone to the whole thing. And I, in, in my mind, I kind of view this thing as like a it's a structure, right? And it's building itself. And then at the very top of the structure is the YFI token. Can you explain uh, the re- the role and reason of the YFI token uh, in the urine protocol? So so as mentioned with with this new vault structure, um, there needs to be certain off-chain decisions that need to occur in terms of what is the highest yielding strategy. 
um, and and at its at its at its highest level, that that is its pure function. It is to make those decisions. But if you drill it down, there's there's a lot of minutia. You know, there's there's what percentage goes to the contract creator, what percentage goes to the original Yearn protocol and the people using that system. If 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 a new token were to be airdropped for whatever reason, um, what goes to LPs and what goes to whomever? Um, so 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 there's a lot of unknown, I want to say, and a lot of known, which are protocol decisions that that need to occur. And, and for the longest time, I've been making these decisions my whole time. But it's it's also getting to a point like 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 you mentioned, you need to hire someone that's that's capable of of watching this the whole time and being aware of this the whole time. And then I'm I'm in that same position, so I need to crowdsource that information. Like I, I I would like to have a solid eight hours sleep, not having to wake up every two hours because there's a new yield farm that popped up and it's only going to last for the next forty minutes. So. <laughs> In those cases, it's good to have this ecosystem. And and like like I said, and and uh, it wasn't tongue in cheek; it was sincere. The original reason I distributed this token, and I also want to emphasize that it was a token distribution; it wasn't a liquidity incentive. But the original reason why I distributed this token was to be able to hand off some of these responsibilities. So it's not just me taking care of it. It's not just me making these decisions. It's not just me implementing these strategies and deciding where the capital should go. Um, that's how you're scale that's how you're scaling it, basically. That's that's how I get to scale the system. That's that's how I also get to take a little bit of time mm-hmm. off and and I know it's in the hands of people that are also as healed obsessed as I am. And 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 that's why I distributed to the the three protocols I considered to be where the yield farmers are farming the most yield, because I wanted to get it into the hands of people that are as intimately familiar with everything that's going on as I am. So as a mental model for for our listeners, this is not unlike MKR and MKR governance, where you know we call Maker DAO a DAO, and in the name DAO, it's a decentralized uh, autonomous organization, right? And so the important thing is like autonomous is a little bit nebulous because MakerDAO needs concrete like proposals for the DAO to vote into the protocol, right? And so at the end of the day, humans with MKR vote in governance proposals, you know, what collateral to accept, what risk parameters to provide them. They manually vote in those parameters. And that's the same thing that's going on with the YFI, the WIFI token and the urine protocol where uh, somebody is proposing a a uh, strategy and then yfi holders are accepting or denying that that contract right that that's exactly it so 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 at its highest level it is is that is its primary function and purpose it is mm-hmm. it is to enable people to be able to make those collective decisions on the system and the protocol for for their own greed and the greed of the lps right. and with right. the the, the Wi-Fi token, it means those two are aligned. So unlike how MKR was distributed and unlike how any other DeFi token has been distributed, Wi-Fi token was distributed in this very unique way. Can you kind of go through your thought process and your decision making with how you uh, enabled the, the Wi-Fi token to be distributed among Ethereum? I I wanted to distribute. That's that's I, I, I needed to distribute a a mechanism whereby people have a voting right to these decisions um thanks to the as mentioned previously the the yield farm with the susd um i had intimately worked with the 
the SNX Rewards contract, which was developed by Anton from One Inch along with um, Kane from Synthetics. And, and it was a very elegant distribution mechanism. So simplistically, every week, they would they would transfer tokens into the contract, and then they would notify the contract that they have transferred tokens into it. And then over that week, the tokens are distributed to the LPs, to the people that provide liquidity to the SUSD pool. Um, so I thought this is the perfect mechanism because the the people using my system are using Y-Curve because Y-Curve is built on top of Yearn. So these are the people that are the yield hunters. And that is why I launched the pool one. Um, and that is why I I distributed to there the first time. Now, now, now people always want to know why, what decisions and, 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 and what rationale. And I, I, like, I, I, I think people want to believe I'm smarter than I am when, when the, the most logical answer is usually the correct one. I'm, I'm a very strong believer in Occam's razor. And, and the reason I chose 10,000 wasn't some meme. It wasn't, it wasn't for any purpose. It was just, I wanted some low number that can represent voting shares. You know, I didn't want someone to have 1.3 billion voting shares. And I also didn't want someone to have, you know, 0.04. So, so it was just a nice round number that I could use that, that when it comes to voting is sufficient. Um, and originally I wanted to do, I wanted to do four pools because I actually wanted to incentivize my other products as well. Why swap and um, why trade? But after the first two pools blew up, um, I didn't want to incentivize those two because they were they I, I consider them higher risk than the rest of the protocols because they haven't withstood the test of time yet and they haven't had as much AUM and as much much eyes on them. So so I decided not to incentivize those two uh, because I was worried that the capital goes in is going to attract the wrong type of attention. So so I switched that instead to to things like um, like balancer and the curve pool again. Um, but but really the, the the there was no there was no master plan there was no thought out solution it was it was a a accidental and somewhat lucky sequence of events um, with a positive outcome but it was really as simplistic as that it was I needed a distribution mechanism for people that use my system and here's ten thousand tokens to make decisions on. So some people in DeFi would argue that this is the fairest launch of any token ever. There was no pre mine no founders reward. No VC. Yeah, some people are even uh, comparing you, Andre, to the Satoshi of DeFi, which, which is kind of funny. So, but but when you launched this in your opening post, you emphasized you couldn't have made it more clear. You, you said we don't we didn't stress it enough. This token, Wifey, has zero value. Don't buy it, earn it. And yet, when I look at the charts, it's like Wifey is one of the most explosive price charts I've ever seen in crypto. So uh, it started at three dollars, you know, kind of at launch, and then a week later was up a hundred percent. So people don't believe you, Andre. <laughs> people think it does have value. Can, can you explain why a rational actor would pay for Wifey tokens? No. Okay. <laughs> why are they do like? So, so I think what you're saying in that is that these are not rational actors. So, 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 so the one thing I really like, um, and the Vance, um, the framework guys, he, he was the first one to pick it up, which, which I, I, I had it in the back of my mind, but, but I never really thought about it. And it, it was very interesting because 
because I, I, I had always thought about the yearn system from an LP perspective because that's what I am. You know, I want to put in a hundred bucks and I want to see ten percent whatever um, growth over the year, and then when I pull that out, I want to see a hundred and ten bucks, and then I'm happy. Um, but at the same time, you know, now this thing was sitting with 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 a hundred million plus in capital. I mean, at its peak, I think it was just over the the six hundred million dollars, um, which, by the way, terrified me to no end. It's far too much money to put <laughs> in my contracts. Don't do that. Six hundred um, million. I mean, what that, that was got to be the top five in the total value lock, lock charts, right? I, 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 that that's a different discussion. I mean, TVL, I think, <laughs> is such an absolutely pointless metric for us to use in this space. It is insanity. Sure. Because like you, you, you can have a billion TVL, but no fees. And then it's, it's, it's a much less than the guy with a thousand bucks, but 50% fees. But anyway, that's, that's a different conversation in terms of you know, PE ratios on systems. Um, but, but a lot of these, a lot of these VCs and trading firms and things, they, they started looking at, from the perspective of being the controller of this ecosystem. Because now if you're the controller of this ecosystem, all of a sudden you're you're not just this degenerate yield farmer that just wants to maximize your own gains because you're an LP, but 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 you're a capital deployer. You you have a hundred million dollars of capital now that you choose where it gets deployed to. And that is also an incredibly powerful leverage tool because now all of a sudden you can start having a, a very different conversation with you know a, a Ava or a compounder or whatever, and you tell them, okay, but I can deploy this capital to you. Um, can you give us extra incentives? So 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 all of a sudden, being able to make those choices is basically being able to make the choices of you know one of one of the biggest funds in the decentralized space. Because that's what Yearn has ended up becoming, one of the biggest funds of deployable capital. Um, and and I it 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 was this amazing like like light bulb moment when when he tweeted about it and, and I read his tweet and I was just like, holy hell, this guy gets it. Um so so I sort of understand it from that perspective. And I I I get it from from the LP because you know his money is in that system, and so he wants to have a vote. And where it goes, because he wants to maximize it. Otherwise, he's going to move it out. But but there isn't really an alternative to move it to, other than you need to do it yourself. Because um, because a lot of the guys I speak to on a daily basis, even even they, when when they want to go away for the weekend, they 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 take their funds and they throw it in my vaults. Because you know they 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 know how to farm themselves. But when they just want to take a little bit of a break, they'd rather have the vaults to it because they know that then they don't have to worry about it. So, so, so from the LP, there's a reason why I want I want some say in it. From the capital deployment, there's a reason I'd want to say in it. So, so I, I, I guess that is my most logical explanation for why someone would attach a financial value to that kind of control. Um, I still don't get it, but but as mentioned, like fairly early in the start, I I don't understand the speculative side. I've never understood why a token really goes up or really goes down, other than something to do with green frogs and something with 4chan. So so so, <laughs> well, so I I can't fully understand the why, um, and and I'm not someone that 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 bought tokens for speculative reasons, other than if I was going to use it. So, so I'm, I'm also probably not the most informed to answer that question, 
but but if I had to look at it from a very from a very governance control perspective, I'd I'd I mean I want some of the tokens so that I can at least ensure that it doesn't go to a place that I don't trust. Right. So so I think so. Um, Vance, you mentioned from Framework, right? They're a um, they're a fund basically, and I believe they announced this week or maybe it's last that they purchased a bunch of Wi-Fi tokens. And the bankless thesis for some of these governance tokens is basically sort of along the lines of what you said, but you know, it's it's sort of a, a next step too. So once you have tokens, once you have governance over the protocol, that gives you voting rights. That gives you the ability to vote in cash flows potentially and convert a mere governance token to a capital asset, essentially. I think that's along the lines, possibly, of what VC groups like uh, investors like Vance are thinking. Does that sound plausible to you? I I do not have enough knowledge or information about like like that world. Um, so so I I can't make an informed decision there, unfortunately. So I'm going to hammer on this one more time and see just to see if I I can get something out of you, Andre. Uh, the way I evaluate with the Wi-Fi token is that it it's a great way to um, earn interest on your crypto dollars on your stable coins. And at the same time, it's also a great way to uh, responsibly earn governance protocols. And so why earn, why earn is not only a, you know, a crypto dollar yield farmer, but it's also a governance token yield farmer, right? And so it, it seems to me that it kind of fits like this barbell strategy of investing where like you have your, you know, your non-speculative stable coins and you earn, earn an interest on that. But at the same time, Yearn is also earning the governance tokens of other protocols, right? And so the wifey value capture system has baked into it like two upsides. It's the interest, it's the uh, earnings on the stable coins, and then it's also the earnings on the governance protocols. Uh, so like it's a the YFI is a governance token that earns you governance tokens over any DeFi protocol ecosystems governance token. And so like, you know, insert your next DeFi protocol here, Compound, Balancer, Metastable, Curve, anybody that has like a governance token that governs over the cash flows, the Yearn and, and YFI token is a system for accruing those tokens. And so it's like a meta governance token accrual system. Um, does that, did I go wrong with that? Is there something wrong with that analysis or, or is that generally on the right track? So, so I don't want to admit that that's on the right track because then there is a a definable financial value you can attach to it, and I really don't want people to do that. Like like stop attaching financial value to the dumb token. Just use it for governance. Just make protocol decisions, people. <laughs> we'll see. But 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 yes, your 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 summary is correct in that by virtue of having that token, you make those capital deployment decisions and by virtue of those decisions you 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 end up choosing which of those I, I don't know if we can call them governance or liquidity tokens but whichever it is you 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 indirectly can make the choice of which ones you actually farm up the funny thing about markets is that they are so unpredictable and who would have predicted uh, that such value would be assigned to the wifey tokens. Uh, certainly, it, it's hard to predict even for folks who are in the space every day. But let's let's talk more about the the governance itself. So there is a thriving Yearn governance community. It's one of the most, I would say, organic communities I've seen in in DeFi. 
And I think um, why Aaron and, and yourself, Andre, should be really proud of that. Can, can you talk about some of the decisions that um, governance has made already? Maybe you know one that comes to mind uh, for me is actually a, a fixed cap for the token itself, like an issuance schedule for the token itself. Maybe talk about that or some of the other governance decisions that have already been made. I, I, I don't really think there has been an impactful decision made yet. Um, the first vote I thought was going to, to cap issuance, and I was kind of happy with that. Um, and then that got overturned at the end. And now we've, we've got this open-ended issuance, which was interesting. Um, and then Substrate had done his synthetics-based proposal, which, which I really liked. Um, but I'm also, I'm also glad that it didn't pass, um, specifically because, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason yet to mint more token. Um, and, and, and I like to do it the, the, the need first way around. So, so I'm a very strong advocate of, of let's identify an expense and then let's vote on that expense, you know, instead of let's have capital and then decide where we deploy it. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a, a lack of, of quorum on that one and and which way it's going to go so 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 i find it very entertaining watching um i was annoyed with the the proposal 30 because that was that was the issuance of the snx style system which i had then coded those contracts and then an hour before and and i mean four was winning by by a resounding mention and then andrew kang went on a whole campaign on twitter and he ended up getting a bunch of the big holders to to swap their vote. Um, I think it was like an hour or two before closing, and then I was sleeping then. So so I I wake up and I see the vote failed, and that means I wasted all of that time building the smart contract. So I'm annoyed <laughs> wow. about that. Wow. But but that's that's fine. I, I I would have preferred spending that time on my vaults. But anyway, um, the the which vaults get voted in next was quite a cool one um, because that. That allows other communities to rally around it as well. Um, that was vote 33, um, and the, the the Link Marines managed to to overthrow that one quite easily. Um, me being on this podcast, another another good example. Um, Maybe the best. So, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put that right at the top. Um, so, so, but it, it kind of makes sense because we're still early days, but, but for now I'm still seeing a lot of indecisiveness when it comes to, to the way forward. And, and I understand that as well, because I, I think a large part of it is a knowledge gap because like a lot of people, a lot of people bought into this and, and they want to get strongly involved, but, but I, I am just a dev, like, like I build, I deploy. So, so I'm. I, I don't have a bunch of marketing materials. I don't have executive summaries. There, there aren't you know extensive pages of documentation. Um, so, so, so a large part of it, I think, is this knowledge gap between what I've built and what they know about it, and like catching up to it, and then understanding where are all of the points of control and all of the decisions. So, so I think the indecisiveness is good from that perspective because it it's indicating to me that people need to learn more first, but it's, I, I, I can also see the engagement is decreasing because of the indecisiveness, because a lot of people feel, okay, but you know, if no decisions are going to be made, there's no point in me participating in the decision. Um, so, so I do like to, to sort of flip it between 
more serious decisions and then smaller decisions just just to keep it a little bit more engaged uh but but it's it's interesting to see how it involves and and it it's very interesting to see the very distinct different communities you know the the people that are are looking at it from a a purely a purely token governance perspective because because there's definitely a group that doesn't really care about governing um yearn but instead care about governing the token itself um and and i i i i do attribute a large part of the token success and when i say success i mean it's 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 acceptance it's distribution um because i'm very happy with with the 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 distribution percentage and you know how 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 little is centralized to to a single entity or group I damn it! I lost my train of thought there because I went into a different thought from the first one. Well, what did I say just before that? You know, so I have a question for you. So you know, I, I was mistaken. Uh, why 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 fee issuance hasn't been decided yet by the governance process? But you have the platform today on on Bankless. What what would you like to see? Like personally, what would you what would be your choice for wifey issuance? I don't see any reason to issue more. I I I I don't see value in incentivizing liquidity providers because they're just going to move their liquidity as as soon as as it's no longer there. The 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 rewards and the fees generated by the system if so chosen can cover the current operational expenses which you know are small because that's the beauty of deploying stuff on Ethereum there's there's almost no opex other than the website and you know that cost me a few hundred dollars a month. Um so, so depending on on how you want to scale this thing up, there there isn't a requirement for additional capital. Now, the one reason why I originally wanted a longer distribution schedule was how I had pictured this play out. Was the first week goes by and probably no one gives a damn about it, and it's just me sitting there with the little bit of money I have in the reward system earning these tokens and I end up having the majority of them. And then I use those tokens I earned as the next week incentive. And then hopefully someone else comes in and, you know, takes 5% of it. And then the next week I use the ones I got again. So, so I, I, I had originally considered a much longer issue in systems because I thought it was going to take a much longer time to get it to a level of distribution where it wasn't just, you know, two or three guys that have all of the tokens in their wallets. Um, but first week cleared that without, any issues um so so and and i'm i'm confident that a very large portion of the token holders are are yield farmers or at least involved in the yield space in some fashion so that they are the right people to make the the protocol level decisions um so so personally I, I would like to see a little bit less focus on the token issuance. And, and just touching on the previous point I forgot to mention is, is I, I wanted to comment that I think a large part of the success of the token is because governance controls the token. Because I think that's something that definitely differentiates it from most other tokens out there. Um, but, but, but that not being the point now, is that, is that there's, there's, there's no... What, what benefit is there, assuming non-financial requirements, to issuing more. The the only reason you would is if you wanted to to add a a new partner that you think could add value, and then you do a standard share dilution, um, which I don't see happening anytime soon. 
Uh, I don't see purpose in doing liquidity incentives. There isn't a capital requirement. It's distributed enough to the point where where the correct people are making the governance decisions. So so why 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 add more? So I have a potential answer to that question because at at the beginning of this podcast, you you came on and said that you're really tired and that you don't sleep very much and that you're kind of overworked and and you kind of want to take a break. Uh, and I see that as a symptom of this super fair distribution that has gone on, which is a, a one unfortunate repercussion of that is that we don't have a way to fund uh, development, right? And and again, this goes back to why VCs exist in the in the first place. And so, do you do you see a role for uh, yearn governance to uh, direct cash flows to a a fund that? De- pays for, uh, you know, your development. And that could even go to compensating you, Andre, if that's what you're interested in, or it could just go into hiring a, a an assistant for you or just building out the development and formalizing the development of the urine system out of either YFI issuance or capital, um, you know, fee- fees on the capital in the protocol being directed toward the team. Are you interested in either of these two things playing out? Yeah, so so the proposal I proposed on the forum currently, um, and I'm waiting for people to to discuss before I open a a new um, improvement protocol, is specifically let's let's redirect all of the current system rewards into a a capital pool, and we take expenses from that, and then whether it's you know quarterly or annually or or whatever it is, um, at that point in time, pay out dividends to the token holders, but before then, everything goes to 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 um, to opex expenditures. So 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 that is the proposal I made. But it seems most token holders would rather have the dividends than an operational company. Um, so we'll see how that one plays out. I'm curious to see. But 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 that is what I I currently have suggested. Um, and and to to add on to, I I think a large part of my current fatigue is is that that informational gap, that knowledge gap I spoke about. Like a few minutes ago, just now, is that is that a lot of a lot of my energy is being pulled from people trying to understand the system better, and that's a good thing because they're trying to 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 educate themselves to the point where where they are then capable of autonomously doing it themselves. But they need that knowledge transfer first, mm-hmm. and and that knowledge transfer is is, is tapping me out because because that's 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 where all of the engagement is happening, and like I've. I've spent Feb till now, you know, I, I I haven't really spoken to anyone. It's it's full lockdown year, so I haven't even left the house since then. Um, so so now having high social interaction is 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 very draining. Okay. Um, but but I think it's to do with that knowledge transfer, and I think when that knowledge transfers has occurred and everyone knows all of the caveats of the system, then then that picture will look better, and and then I think there is enough operational cash flow to incentivize those people to do it in a more full-time or at least committed part-time perspective um and 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 just closing the loop that's why that's why again i i don't think additional token issuance is required other than people that you know want to increase their own capital value and or increase their own rewards which which neither i think are are healthy. So Andre, with the Yearn system, the Yearn protocol, 
no one can really predict the future because it's up to the governance, right? Like the governance decides what the future is. However, if you had to guess what urine would look like in two, three, four years, or maybe what you are hopeful it will look like in that time period, can you kind of paint us a picture of, of what you are envisioning when you see a maximally successful urine protocol? Yeah, so so there's, there's, there's always this quote I love to give people um, because people always assume that I have a plan or they always assume I thought any of this stuff out. Um, it was in the, the Heath Ledger Batman movie where, where, where he tells um, Harvey, um, do I look like a guy with a plan? I'm, I'm, I'm just a dog chasing cars. I, 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 I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught up to it. Uh, summarizes me perfectly. So I, I know what I want to build tomorrow. And after I've built that, I know what I want to build after that. But there is no way in hell I'm even going to try and predict what this thing looks like a month from now, let alone two years from now. Um, a month ago, I couldn't have told you we would be having this conversation now about what has happened. And when I started building it in Feb, definitely not. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to, to play that prediction game. Um, if you want to know what I'm currently working on, I'll gladly share. But don't tell me, don't ask me further than that, because I, I, I'm as informed as everyone else is. Yeah, okay. So what is actually concretely in the roadmap, or not in the, even in the roadmap, but currently being worked on? What, what are the concrete things that are in development, quote unquote? Well, the, the delegated vaults, I'm very excited to finish off now. Um, after I've finished the delegated vaults and we've voted in a few more of the, the NATO vaults and we've added a few more strategies, which probably the next two to three weeks, um, then I'm planning on going back to iTrade and finishing that off because those leverage trades are still very, very good in terms of, of, of yield on, the, on both the LP side and the additional volume on the pool side. And now that we have so much capital sitting in those pools, we, we can do much larger trades, which is also very nice. So, so I'd, I'd like to see that as a sort of you know, um, stable coin trading platform. Um, I, after that, I did want to go back to, to Y-Swap, my AMM, um, but at this point, you know, uh, one inch is launching one, um, Black Hole Swap is coming out with their one, uh, Bankrevy 2 is now released. So, so, so I'm first going to see if one of these guys covers the bases um, the way I wanted to do it. And if they do, I'm just going to use their systems because I also don't want to spread out my development capacity too thin. Um, rather do one thing well than three things kind of shitty. So, 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 so that I know I'm going to be busy with for like the next month. Um, and then after that, I'll reevaluate and see what's going on in this market. Andre, I want to thank you for coming on the Bankless podcast. Um, even though you didn't have a choice, <laughs> this was, you, you were voted into it, but, uh, you know, we had fun and we hope you did. I I'm hopeful that you get some rest in the coming days. I know the DeFi community and the Ethereum community is thankful for the work that you've contributed. Uh, and I love what you said at the ending. Um, it can be a strategic advantage not to have a concrete plan that stretches far into the future and just be agile and flexible. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us, Andre. No, thank you for having me, guys. It's, um, it's, it's, it's nice to have a little bit of a break and, and be able to talk so that there's a little bit of um, perspective coming back as well. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Bankless Nation, some actions for you guys. We will include a link to the, the urine protocol. And remember, this code is tested in prod. So if you put funds in, Andre would be the first to tell, them, to tell you, you could, you could lose them all. We'll also uh, send a link. We'll also 
drop a link to the urine governance forum and you can see all of the organic activity that is happening there. Um, lastly, last action item for you, we have a state of the nation episode seven, where we talked with Daryl Lau, who is a, a governor of the Wi-Fi protocol. So catch that if you haven't yet, that'll give you some more background on uh, the insanity and the, the craziness and the fun that is going on with Wi-Fi right now. Um, lastly, and this is super important in an episode such as this, risks and disclaimers, none of this has been financial advice. Ethereum is risky, DeFi is risky. We say it every single show. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.